0: Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Super Mario. Let me get this straight. A plumber crawled through sewer pipes to kill a turtle with a flamethrower to rescue a princess? I bet she was very happy about all of that. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Rosebud Motel. Come sleep away, you'll failures, and dream up your future successes at the Rosebud Motel. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a movie podcast uh, by filmmakers who like to. Analyze and break apart films, and we're just going to jump straight in this week. Todd, what are we covering today?
0: Today we are covering Soul, the new uh, Pixar film. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. If you have not seen it, spoiler, spoiler alert, for a lot of reasons. Pause this episode, go watch it. It's streaming, like I said, on Disney Plus.
1: Absolutely. And today, actually, we are joined by the most specialist of guests. We have Simon in the house. Hello. <laughs> Hi how's it going man simon is who who do you who is simon
0: uh simon is my son ah my how old are you bud seven almost how old eight almost eight why was six afraid of seven uh because seven eight nine yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he's gonna be eight in february man (laughs) oh that's exciting
1: so yeah, I heard that you're a really that you enjoyed Soul. Can you tell me what is Soul about? What's the What's the story of the movie?
0: I think it's have a good time when you are alive. Make the that's... most of your your life. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, yeah, it's a good gist. Sounds pretty yeah.
1: good. Uh, did you like Did you like the the movie?
0: Uh, yes. What did What did you think of the the music?
1: Yeah, I liked I like the music a lot.
0: Do you like the, like the piano music or did you like the music that like the other music that from the movie? Well, when it was showing Terry, it always had that weird kind of like creepy music. And, and that's and I like that. Like that. Yeah. I forgot how it went. It went like that's that's some Trent Reznor awesomeness is what that is. But yeah, yeah. I, I try to figure out the morals of of like every movie that I watch. You do. Right. Wow. And even if you don't get it, you ask me what that meant if you don't get it but usually you get it usually you're like that meant this and and you're usually right i don't get the i don't get the moral of moana i don't i don't <laughs> we can talk about that on another episode <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right thank you buddy appreciate thanks. it thanks bro
1: you're welcome
0: you did all right yeah you
1: did great Nice. Yeah. So in in addition to that, believe it or not, we're going to talk about some other stuff as well. We'll talk about uh, a lot of the story and writing, the death and side missions, the zone and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: All right. So synopsis of the film. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. Directed by Pete Doctor, Co-directed by Kemp Powers written by Pete Doctor, Mike Jones and Kemp Powers, cinematography by Matt Asbury and Ian McGibbon, starring Jamie Foxx as Joe, Tina Fey as 22, Rachel House as Terry, Graham Norton as Moonwind, Alice Braga as Jerry and Angela Bassett as Dorothea. I have to ask, how the dickens did you do it? Get that earth past to change. Oh, you know what? I, I just let her walk a mile in my shoes, you can say. Well, it worked.
1: Well, you should probably get going to the great beyond.
0: Hey, um, we never found
1: out what 22's purpose was. Excuse me? You know, her uh, spark, her purpose. Was it music, biology, walking?
0: (laughs) We don't assign purposes. Where did you get that idea?
1: Because I have piano. It's what I was born to do. That's my spark. A spark isn't a soul's purpose. Oh, you mentors and your passions, your purposes, your meanings of life, so basic. No,
0: no, it it, it is music. My spark is music. I, I know it is. I'm no good. I got no purpose. No
1: purpose. No
0: purpose.
1: There's so much going on in that short 60 seconds. I know, right? I don't even know where to start. How about the music? Was there ever a more Trent Reznor track?
0: Before I even knew that he uh, scored this, I knew that he scored this. Absolutely.
1: You're like, is this social network?
0: (laughs) You can feel it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I don't want to say that he is predictable. Definitely not predictable, but he has a sound, I would say. And his sound is simplistic noticeable. There are, um, motifs that you keep coming back to that are meaningful and in a way overly hit you over the head. I mean, it's like, it's almost like, what was that very old piece? A very old, uh, fil- I don't think it was a film, but it was just like a, a short animation of where there, there was no audio, but it was just music, uh, where like, there were animals in it, and it was, uh, it might have been an old Disney animation where, you know, they would use an oboe for one animal. They would use a violin for another animal. Do you know what I'm talking about? You probably do, but it reminds, it, he's like very, very pointed with, I'm going to play this. when We're going to hear this music or this piece, this line when you see this character. And sometimes that's too much. Sometimes it's too, like, on the nose. But for this, it was just perfect. It was like, yeah, it's unbelievable. His use of a, of a basic piano was, you know, amazingly mind blowing. And it's just a piano. And he uh, he did it so well, especially in that moment at the end uh, or towards the end when um, Joe is playing the piano in his apartment mm. to get in the zone. And he starts playing that piece and it's just man, I almost had tears. It was just so beautiful. It was so perfect for that moment of, you know, putting the mu- music aside and going in his own. So, yeah, the music was everything for me in this film. It was unbelievable.
1: Whenever for the the score, what do you think he's doing to his piano there? I mean, it's, it sounds piano, but it also sound has this electric texture to it. And so I'm just curious, you know, if you're listening to that and you're saying, Oh, that's, here's what he's doing. He's adding this or that, or.
0: uh, I had no idea. (laughs) Because it's him. It's so him. He's got so much outboard analog synthesizer gear. Like there's no way that anybody would be able to tell you, oh, he did this. He ran it through that. That like, it's literally impossible. (laughs) Only he and Atticus Finch know what they did. That no one else will know. And they might even not be able to re- reproduce it. It might be one of those things where, like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Don't touch anything. And then the moment they leave the room, they come back and it sounds different because a different type of current is going through the room. Who knows? You know, that kind of stuff happens when you have that much gear in a space. I don't know if you've seen where they work, it's unreal. I mean, it's like a musician's dream. You just have walls of synthesizers all around you it's un, unbelievable
1: so what did you think of this i mean i know after you watched it i'm pretty sure you're the one who told me like hey have you have you watched it yet and i was like uh no not yet because i like pixar movies i don't make a point to go out of my way and watch them and whenever you were like yeah go ahead and hit play on that bad boy i was like oh right. nice um always a good sign because they do make a lot of movies now and not they're all good but they're not all great Right. To, you know, to, to this extent, like, I don't know if I'm going to watch cars, cars, two cars two again or whatever. Like, so yeah. How did you take this in? What way hit you about it?
0: Well, first off, you know, I didn't know what to expect at all. And I think going into it, seeing a, a music teacher, I was like, Oh, okay. This is interesting. Cause I love music and it's Pixar. So I'm expecting it to be done well. And then the moment he sits down at the piano, and starts to play I thought oh my god this is going to be incredible because of a couple of reasons one it's about jazz okay this is not like a school of rock right where there's four chords in the truth kind of thing this is like no, this is a player um who's dedicated his life to this and and uh they're not trying to go mainstream the musical style right or or, or anything they're they're going deep deep cuts it's about jazz. And I don't listen to enough jazz for as much as I love it. It's one of those things where I have a few jazz albums, but I don't listen to enough of it. But the moment I hear it, I'm just transported to some other place and fall in love with music all over again. It's like the thing, it's like an anchor for me, I think, uh, where, where, yeah, the moment I hear it, I'm, I'm just like oh my god that's I love that I love that so much that's why I love music it's because of that so that but then bigger than that was how he was playing he was they animated him so perfectly not just him but all the players so perfectly in their movements the timing with what he's playing and his fingers is flawless it is perfect the his reaches when he hits when he when he says um, he's descriptive and he says. Oh, and, you know, and I saw this guy playing and he started playing and, and it was like he, he floated away out of his body and then he hit that minor. Ooh. And he hits a minor key. Right. And you're, if you watch his fingers, he's playing these notes that, that are the notes. Like this is what, whatever human played this, this jazz piece, this is what his fingers did the perfection of the movement of it. So we've talked ad nauseum about how much we hate it being obvious that the, the actor is not either singing or the one singing or playing, uh, the instrument. Well, this animated character was more convincing than 95% of other movies that are shot in like in reality. It's, it's perfectly done. And not just that, but Dorothea Williams playing the the saxophone. Her movements were perfect. Mm -hmm. It was just like from her breath to her cheeks to the tension in her neck to her finger movements aligning with the notes being played. I'm not a sax player, so I can't tell you. Oh, yeah, that's a B. She's playing a B. I can't tell you that. But yeah, that was freaking seamless. And then the moment that he goes to the great beyond, when he falls in the manhole, was so caught me out of left field bro like I was so excited for this guy I go from from totally identifying with a guy to I mean even more identifying with the guy throughout the whole journey of him his mom not liking what he does because she wants him to get a real job a uh, hello same <laughs> um, you know uh doing jobs he doesn't like or want to do because he needs to make ends meet, but really having sort the a dream, getting his shot, actually getting the shot. And then this happens. And my feeling when he falls down the manhole was, okay, I'm ready for it to cut to him in a hospital or something like that. And it cuts to him being dead. And I, my feeling was, no, he just got the shot. That's it. That's what he's been waiting for. No. Like I I just I didn't want to be taken out of the world. I was Pixar did what they always do perfectly is they take something that you're comfortable with and they upend it right at the very beginning. And I wasn't ready for him to leave the, the earth yet. I wasn't ready to leave earth yet. I didn't want to go to the great beyond either. I don't care what it looked like. I didn't want to be there. I want to be back on earth. I want to see him play his gig, get his shot. And maybe crush it, I don't know, or blow it, but get his shot. And then, and then throughout the, the, he gets his shot. He, it's so fulfilling because he gets his mom to understand what he wants to do in his life, what, what he's, he, he's driven to do. He gets to have, he forcefully gets to have his shot playing the gig with Dorothea after he, he has, you know, gets the gig from the audition, but then he has, he loses it and then he has to go fight for it back. And then he crushes the gig and he gets the, he gets the pie in the sky thing. So, so it's not like, like, oh, he's so great, but he blows it at his audition, you know, in the show or whatever he, no, he nails it like a, a player of his caliber would. And we get to see that we get to witness it. So we we're given everything just like he's given everything. And then we realize that it's not really about that, that this story isn't really about that, that life isn't really about that. It's about what we've we talked about this whole time. We talk about this all the time. It's about the journey, not the destination. It's about the practice time you put in. It's about the gigs that, you know, at coffee houses that you play for 30 bucks. It's about the two people that show up when, you know, 50 people said that they would. It's a, it, all of these things. When you finally get it, I thought it'd be different. And the story that Dorothea tells him at the end is so freaking flawless. It's so good. Simon kind of gets it. I don't think he fully gets it. I try to explain it to him, but it's just so Pixar, man. It's just on the nose. Anyway, that's just a a surface level of (laughs) some of the the walkthrough that I just completely loved.
1: I love that. I mean, I think I identified in a slightly different way a lot of the same you know i think concepts but one of the things that drew me in was him as a a band teacher really reminded me of my high school band teacher because i was in regular concert band marching band but i was also in jazz band and my band teacher coolest black dude on the planet definitely you know in the in the high school teacher's lounge and he was just absolutely talented and I think the difference between him and Joe and he was way cooler than Joe. I love, I think Joe was a good dude, but he was just way cooler than Joe because he loved teaching. My, my band teacher just loved teaching. And uh, he was recently rewarded in the state with some kind of state recognition and he changed our program. Like we were a tiny school that was just crushing everybody else in, in the state. It was, it was pretty outstanding, but he was also in, you know, in his own orchestra. uh, Well, not his orchestra, but he participated in the brian college station uh, brazos valley orchestra or whatever you call it symphony yeah and so i watching that and i was like man you got me at jazz because i'm the same man i love jazz but i don't listen to it enough i think usually if i'm going to go partake in jazz uh, i definitely have some some records like i'll throw on some duke ellington john coltrane but i really like to go down to the elephant room downtown austin and hear live jazz like that's where i'm gonna find my zen for sure and he uh my favorite trumpet player Ephraim owens is just absolutely amazing and so i usually check the the schedule for when he's gonna play and i'll go down there and uh and and watch him do his thing because he's fantastic actually inserted him into a, a little short piece i did on austin like the the way i view austin and um, how it's perceived by me, I asked him if I could film. I was like, Hey, do you mind if I shoot you playing a little bit? And oh, I remember that. He yeah. was like, Yeah, I had to chase him down though, because like a true jazz musician, he doesn't really do social media or texting or any yeah. of that. Like, I, love I don't it. even know if he had a phone. It. Like he was just an absolute jazz musician, man. But this movie had all of that, and I was right there with you because uh when he dies, I was not ready to let it go. And as you were saying that, I was like, Man that's such a good point because that set us up to fight with Joe, the entire movie. We want him to succeed. We want him to get his shot. And if they don't really sell that at the beginning of the film, um, it's going to make for a, a more arduous journey where you don't want the audience indifferent. And that's probably tricky for them as they're writing it and figuring out all these beats, uh, because how much do modern people really care about jazz or jazz musicians? Like, especially in cartoons, like there's jazz, there's movies about jazz musicians that are really great. Like, you know, Whiplash and uh, there's a Miles Davis movie and, you know, several others, I'm sure. And it's not something you really see in cartoons. (laughs) Like, I don't imagine there's a lot of movies about jazz, jazz musicians or cartoon movies about that. And so I can only imagine what What they're thinking in the in the writer's room where they're like, yeah, we really need to make sure that by the time we kill this character, that the audience is not happy with that and that they're begging just like Joe is begging to get back because it's it's absolutely crucial that we root for him, that we're not ready for him to go either, because and that's and I think that's also tricky because we get to that moment of seeing the great beyond and we ought to be curious about, well, what is that? What do they think that is? What what happens back there? Um, because they, you know, they're making those sounds like mosquitoes hitting the, uh, the electric <laughs> stinger. And there's a, an inherent curiosity, but we're just like Joe, because we want to see what else he can do. He has more life to live. He has more goals to pursue. And I was on board the whole way through. Uh, and it took me by surprise, man. I, I didn't know what happened initially when he fell fell in the sewer. I didn't know what this movie was going to be. I literally just hit play with zero idea of what was about to happen. I didn't know what soul meant. And of course, like yeah, Pixar does, you know, it's a bit of a double entendre because uh, it's about, you know, soul music. And it's also about, you know, souls and right. what right. you do on earth uh, with, you know, what does it mean to have soul and blah, blah, blah. And so... Yeah, it took me completely by surprise that this guy is dead now. I wasn't even sure if he was dead. I was like, "Are we just jumping into a new alternate reality? Is this a new dimension that he dropped into?" Now he's in like Cartoon World, and then oh, you didn't know he was—he didn't know he was dead. Right not away? initially, uh, okay. Until they like cut to the the big light, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, oh, we're doing that." <laughs> Got it. Yeah. No, I loved it. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. And I love all the uh, the thoughtfulness. This works in so many layers, you know, that Pixar does well. It's never just about going from A to B. It's never just about the journey itself. Like as amazing as that is, it's always layered with other aspects of the journey. Um, what does the journey mean, really? Uh, and I love that on whatever level it even hits a seven-year-old in the head. Like that's freaking amazing
0: yeah um which he loved it after the first viewing he said he just loved it i was like all right let's watch it again We watched it the next night
1: <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> and i'll jump through some notes and i'm gonna pick your brain definitely periodically and you know you'll jump in as normal but i have some questions because there's certain things i couldn't quite articulate very well that i think you'll probably uh, say better um but Story and writing is really all I was thinking about through this whole thing. Uh, First off, death, I think the idea of introducing kids to the idea of death and beyond and meaning of life, which is inherent with the conversation of death, that's amazing. And they do it in such an innocent way that you never feel overwhelmed by it, even though they use these tones and this imagery that could easily be like scary and overwhelming to a kid. They do it in just the absolute lightest touch that they do so well, I was just absolutely blown away. But I love how they foreshadow the death. Like, he makes that comment uh, on the phone with Curly, which is uh, Questlove, if uh, people don't know. And he's like, man, oh, you're doing this gig with uh, Dorothea Williams, man. I would die a happy man if I could perform with Dorothea Williams. But you just might get your chance. <laughs> like It's right there. They're just lacing up those shoelaces. Um, and then on his way right He's just so focused. He's so intent. He's nearly hit by cars and on his way back, uh, still almost hit by cars and bricks. And that woman is yelling at him, hey, you're going to get hurt. And then he falls in the manhole. And I already mentioned, like, I was really confused. But what what makes that really great, because they kind of allow the confusion to settle in. If you don't jump to the obvious conclusion, They, they don't make it immediately obvious they don't have him asking did I die no I can't die like they let the moment kind of play out and explore it and they're making you ask questions and discover the world instead of you know just pointing out boom he lands oh I'm dead like no we're gonna take you know the next couple minutes to let you explore this new scenario and adjust just like he's adjusting and every step of the way we are in Joe's shoes and they do a great job of helping us identify with them and to that end, they do a great job of using all these like side missions is what I'm kind of calling them, because whenever he finally gets back to Earth, right, he inhabits uh, Mittens, the cat, <laughs> and 22 has taken over his body. Suddenly now he still has his mission. He has his goal. I need to get back into my body and along the way, not below my opportunity with Dorothea. And so he's lining everything up and there's all these things that he has to do like he has to change out of the gown first right i gotta stop looking like a crazy person and so they run back to his apartment um in 22 and it's not just a mission for the sake of having a mission there's things that accomplish something to the end of the story it all adds up to something which if you haven't listened to recent past episodes uh actually means something to the viewer, <laughs> to us specifically, but to viewers everywhere, I'm sure. Uh, because they go and they they change out of the gown. And then what happens when he's there, right? Connie, the, the trombonist from his band, his high school band, um, comes by for her lesson and she's wanting to quit. And 22 is like all about it. She's like, yeah, screw this, man, quit. Um, but then along the way, you know, 22 learns how passionate people can be uh, about their gifts or about life, I don't know how would. And this is one of the questions I have for you: is like, how would you describe the lesson that twenty two learns right there in the hallway with Connie playing the trombone? Because there's this light bulb that goes off that I can't quite put my finger on.
0: I don't really know. I think it it's well, first off, first off, you know, she sees someone love something for the first time. That's innocent, right? So we know she. I guess I guess that's not true because she saw. She knew that Joe loved playing music before, right? But I don't think she saw him play, like mm. she saw, you know, in his in his his life, you know, when they were in the the what do they call it? Not the afterlife, but the the museum pre, or something. The pre-life, whatever. Mm. Yeah, the the museum of of Joe's life, yeah. right? Um, she sees him play, but I think it was the first time first time while she was alive. In Joe's body that she got to see someone, you know, a kid innocent who was supposed to not like this, this life and, and music or anything, not like something actually like it, even though she said she didn't. And so it was, maybe it was a little bit of confusion for 22 because she's under the assumption that you have to love, like there's something that you have to absolutely love right? One specific thing. And maybe she, she realizes that like you, in that moment that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be so black and white. Like, you know, this little girl says she hates this thing, but she's actually really good at it. And actually she really does like it. You know, I don't really, I can't really put my finger on it either. I think you're right. It's, it was a, it was just a, Maybe she had seen it before with with Joe, but it was just like she'd seen it for the first time. You know that happens with people all the time, where where you've heard something a hundred times, but when you hear it the right way from the right person at the right time, all of a sudden it's the first time you've ever really heard it. And maybe that could have been it, because she's just been twenty two has been under such you know crazy stress with this transformation of now I'm in a body and I'm alive and I'm on Earth and I've had pizza for the first time and. I'm in an apartment uh, for the first time. I got scratched by a cat for the first time. I'm in all these things. And she's finally ha- sitting down and saying, yeah, I agree with you. This is crazy. This is this is ridiculous. This this planet is insane. I want to get off. Yeah. And uh, realizing like, oh, there's something different here. It's not, I, I don't know. I don't know either.
1: I think you're right though. I think that that realization that it isn't black and white, that she says she doesn't want to do it anymore, but she clearly loves it. And and I think also just to add on to that, because she's number 22 of the infant souls, which means she's basically been there since the beginning. Um, yeah. She was first batch. <laughs> she was the first pancake. Um, and, <laughs> and she has been instructed by all the greats throughout history. Um, Muhammad Ali and Copernicus and just world changing people. And so I think you're right. Like in her mind, it had to be one thing you you had to love and be passionate about a thing. And even when she's, you know, vamping for time to keep Joe around um, from going into the the great beyond um, she's talking to Jerry and saying, Oh yeah, I think I might be into breakdancing actually. Um, and Jerry's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Joe, like, yeah. Jerry never really puts to, together the problem that she's having that you don't have to have a purpose in the way that you think you need to have a purpose. Like that's not, and so, yeah, I think her kind of experiencing that conflict and then the, the the joy of witnessing someone doing what they love and discovering it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, or it's in the neighborhood. I'm glad I'm not the only sure. one struggling. why not? <laughs> not. Um, and then after that, right, he needs a haircut because he completely uh, cats are not good at giving haircuts, apparently. And so <laughs> he runs over to the barbershop, which I love. Uh, if you've never been to a black barbershop, it's it's different. It, it's not like a, a white hair salon or anything like that. And I've been to white barbershops, too, and it's not quite like that either. It's similar. They're, you know, they're not a world apart, but the, the rules are different uh, and each their own. And so I really loved, you know, just them popping mm-hmm. in there. And uh, I saw that Questlove was a, uh, a cultural uh, consultant is what they labeled it in the credits. Oh, and so I'm okay. sure he had a lot cool. of input on that, <laughs> uh, that scene and the texture of that scene because it's right, man, you, you can't, if you, you make an appointment or you go in and you wait in line and they'll get to you when they get to you. And trust me, yeah. uh, you want to make an appointment. And so I love that whole environment, but I also love Joe. The lesson that she's learning from Joe is once again, uh, it doesn't have to be one thing because Joe uh, wanted to be a veterinarian, which I thought was, Uh, kind of a clever play that was happening in there. On the one hand, you know, Joe was a, not Joe, excuse me. uh, The barber's name. The barber. Yeah. Yeah. Des. God. Um, So I've been saying Joe for like 10 minutes here. Des wanted to be a a veterinarian. And what I think is funny about that is he wanted to be a vet, even though he technically was a vet because he was a Navy veteran. And so he's a a vet who wanted to be a vet. Uh, I think they're doing a little fun wordplay in there within that but I love that you know he enjoys being a barber like he loves what he's doing and to him it did not feel like he settled like he's doing something that he loves and he enjoys and that it's not one thing and it also sets up something that's semi-important um is that whenever you're in the chair you're king like this is your show and so it sets up the idea that there are moments where you're important and you can decide what you want which goes hand in hand with what Des is talking about. Des is saying that I wanted this other thing, but then it changed. And now I really want this other thing and that's okay. And that same idea of when you're in the chair, you get to decide. Um, and now she's in the chair and she gets to decide, yeah, well I want a lollipop <laughs> and she enjoys the lollipop. And then later on in the film, when it's time for her to give up Joe's body, 22 says this really great comment. No, no, I'm in the chair and she runs away (laughs) and it's this very simple, uh, analogy that she's making that ties back. And as the audience, you understand exactly what she means without her having to spell it out. She doesn't have to say, no, this is like whenever I was in the barbershop and I was in the chair and I get to make decisions. No, it just ties up right there in a line. And it has what Shakespeare would say is the brevity, uh, that is the soul of wit. Like, no, I'm in a chair. (laughs) It's just for fleas. I love that. It all dovetails so nicely. Uh, I love the, the, the other little side moment side mission is uh, after the barbershop, she rips the suit, right? Oh, it is loosening up. Um, And now they got to go fix it. They got to go fix the suit. And it's this great moment where finally Joe gets to have it out with his mom and gets to say what actually makes him happy and what she kind of keeps discouraging from him because this movie really is about nuance and we'll get to that in a minute but i love that they're driving at something that's more gray area than most movies make most movies try to paint a very black and white picture like it's not about that it's about you know it's about this and this movie is so much more gray and nuanced than that and so setting up the scene though i love the uh, the the transition that they make from him the cat whispering into her ear, here's what I want you to say to her. And we kind of start doing this little camera move that breaks the uh, the 360 rule that normally the camera stays on kind of one side of the room to help you orient yourself within the scene. And if they break that, if they cross over that line between two characters, there's usually a point to that. And in this case, they're using it as a transition to let Joe go from being uh, the cat and 22, the translator in Joe's body, and instead allows joe to speak uninterrupted directly to his mom so that we can have a much stronger direct uh, uninterrupted emotional connection with him and what he's trying to say and of course at the end of that scene something shifts for joe and for him and his mother because now she has gone from not understanding to understanding she gives him i think it's his dad's old suit is that right the old blue suit um tailors it for him it's Beautiful. Waterworks. Cue them. Um, <laughs> and then we also have like Terry, a uh, different kind of side mission. Uh, we introduced Terry and now we kind of have a villain. And it's fun because there's no true villain in this other than the lost soul. Like avoiding becoming a lost soul, which we'll get to momentarily. Uh, but I love that Terry is a great tool because he kind of pops up whenever it serves the story. It's like there's no reason he has to arrive at any given point in time, right? Uh, He needs to rummage through this insanely large room of files. And that can take as long as the story needs it to take, right? He can go as fast or slow, the room can be as big or as small as is convenient for the story. And and even whenever he finishes that, right? uh, Now we get to set up, well, what, what is it he's gonna do uh, once he finds out the issue? And now he's gonna catch Joe, and we kind of see what that looks like by having him catch the wrong person, um, and he scares the daylights out of out of that other guy. Um, it is great. That. Yeah, it's I a love great. I love that moment too. That was so good. <laughs>
0: it's so good,
1: especially because it almost feels lightly justified because of uh, the way that character is portrayed, and I'm forgetting his name, but. He's just kind of uh, pooping on on Joe's dreams, right? He's like anybody can play in a band, and then they just dress him down, and I forget what he says. It was something like that was really mean, Joe. That's <laughs> cold blooded. Um, yeah. And then they right they 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 have Terry catch him, and uh, so you don't feel super bad for him. I mean, you're not happy for him. It takes away some of the sting of having a character go through that moment um, by making it a little bit more funny. And also allowing us to see what awaits Joe. Here's what's at stake. He's going to get dropped immediately into the great beyond. And that sets up the tension. It ratchets up the stakes a lot. So that we really need Joe to get it get it all straightened out. sooner the better. And then the zone. Uh, let's discuss the zone. Because this is a really interesting thing. And they set it up really nicely at the very beginning. Where Connie, the trombone player closes her eyes, right? And losers herself while playing. Um, we don't know what's happening there, but we know like, oh, she just kind of went somewhere. Like she was just so in the moment. Um, and of course, Joe goes into the audition with uh, Dorothea and loses himself. And then we go a step further. It's just not only losing himself, but we kind of see the zone and we get it. We get what's happening. Like, oh, he's completely lost himself in the music. And so they just gradually baby step us all the way into what is the zone? And we get introduced to it, right? Uh, but we also see how the the zone can become your trap, right? It's your greatest joy. The only reason why you experience the zone is because of how much you are experiencing uh, your joy. But then we also see how it can become your trap, right? Those are the lost souls um, who either have no connection to life or they've allowed their, their joy to to snare them by m- becoming too much about the pursuit of the thing instead of the enjoyment of the thing. Because I I really appreciate uh, the, it's the light. They don't really drill down too hard on it, but they insinuate that the the day trader, the stock trader, right? The guy who works in in stock, like he was only lost soul because he actually enjoyed his job at some point. At some point, he really enjoyed it and it put him in a blissful state. At some point, it became too much about whatever the money, um, I you know, is also the, the the connection there and freeing him of that. Finally, realized like my time my time here is done. Like we're alive, go experience life. But I still like the idea conceptually that it's okay to work in stocks and trades and to enjoy working on Wall Street and analysis. I love analysis. We do a show about analysis. I'm sure in another life. I would have deeply loved working in stocks and bonds and on Wall Street and, you know, just for the pure joy of manipulating numbers and uh, playing around and speculating and thinking about businesses and what they can add to the world and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of good things. But anyway, uh, I did not intend to go down that little side street, (laughs) but a
0: little non sequitur there, (laughs)
1: non sequitur at all. Um, But at the end, right uh talking about the zone still at the end he gets his job back in the quartet and there's something interesting that happens because he had just had this conversation that sound bite that we played at the beginning about oh you humans and your you know uh, your purposes so basic <laughs> and and he gets his job my only purpose on this earth is to play music it's what i was meant to do it's like he didn't hear it yet he still he heard it he he was right there but he, his heart hasn't heard it yet. And he has a great show. But what I really thought was interesting about that show is that he never gets into the zone. He never zones out. And then he leaves. And it's that comment, that, that conversation that you were talking about earlier, Todd. Uh, because he says, man, I've been waiting on this day my entire life. I just thought it would feel different. And she tells that great story about the fish that's looking for the ocean. And the old fish is like, you're in the ocean. And she's like this. This is water. What I want is the ocean. Well, Joe, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and She just walks away. <laughs> she doesn't hand it to him. It's like, you're going to get it or you're not, man. And I love that because Joe, I think, assigned his happiness to a goal instead of to his joy of what he loved doing. And so he kind of goes home feeling deflated and aimless. And looking at the items that 22 had collected, we see this is brilliant storytelling right here because he's remembering her experiences he didn't experience these things but because they shared a body they shared a memory we suddenly are understanding that he's remembering the things that she experienced and understanding what it was that she suddenly uh, found her spark in these are the things that cause spark and it's such a great simple expositional moment without a word they never say it they're trusting the audience to understand what's happening in this moment as we're watching him, as he's looking at these items, as he's uh, re-experiencing these moments. They're all It's all just really strong visual storytelling. And you could study that sequence uh, as a filmmaker and as a storyteller to understand how to visually communicate exposition because it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And this flows into him reflecting on his own life's simple pleasures as he starts remembering his own experience his childhood and seeing his dad play and all those moments and he's suddenly realizing like oh it's just the joy of it that's that's what it is and so at that moment right he plays for the simple pleasure of it and just goes zones out and he finds 22 and this is such a cool moment because they start doing things that I could not have predicted or expected uh, if you had stopped the movie at this point and said, what are, what are some things you would like to see? I would have been like, I don't know. I want to see 22 get, you know, life and uh, I want to see Joe get happiness. And I would not have expected for them to start breaking rules that we hadn't considered could be broken. Like the lost soul 22 breaks into the U seminar. And it's absolute chaos. I didn't know I wanted to see that, but I did. And it's so genius because there's, she can't break anything. You can't hurt anybody. And so why not let her go crazy? Why
0: not let and her throw you know, yeah. <laughs> and throw children
1: and throw them everywhere.
0: It's so good. And they're <laughs> laughing. <laughs> so great.
1: It's brilliant. Um, And, and he gives her right. And I, I don't know what this is. Is it
0: a butterfly wing? some, uh, a leaf or, a uh, I don't know what it is. It's a seed. It's a, a pine tree seed. That's what's in pine cones.
1: Oh, okay. I said, I yeah. didn't know what it was, which is totally fine because it still worked the same in the sense that it's a worthless item, but it's personally meaningful and therefore it's fulfilling. Therefore it brings joy and happiness. Um, it's something that you could not Probably get anybody to pay you money for, <laughs> uh, unless there's a pine cone tree planter that's run out of pine cones. I don't know. I have no idea yeah, what would take a pine cone <laughs> shortage. Yeah. Supply and demand. <laughs> Supply and demand. It's completely worthless. Otherwise, like um, you find it on the street in New York. Like it's, but it's it's everything to her. To her, it, it meant something, and so it kind of dives into this idea of what's the bigger and I don't know. The to me. I, I found like there was, and I don't know enough about this philosophy or religion, um, but it's kind of this Buddhist idea of like finding your Zen. Maybe it's about connecting to life and finding passion and seeing the wonder that surrounds us without letting it become the means. Um, and it goes back to what I think you were saying at the beginning, like, it's, it is about the journey. It's not about the destination. He got his destination and he put all this expectation on it instead of saying, this is just another part of my journey and I'm just going to enjoy this mm-hmm. uh, while it lasts and enjoy doing what I enjoy to do. I don't know. What do yeah. How would you view that?
0: Uh, what is the zone
1: to you? What does it kind of emblemize?
0: Well, I mean, um, for, for me, I go to it all the time and it's not necessarily a good thing. It's like, um, I can't stay there for too long. I just kind of like neglect people and things and that I'm supposed to do. Uh, so I identify with that a lot. And I mean, I, I've been like that, like most of my life, I, I have these goals and I'm just so dedicated to them. And if I can't reach them, um, then, you know, either I didn't do enough or, something inhibited me at some point or whatever. There's a million you know, reasons or excuses, but it's like, it's this, this whole like, you know, go, go, go kind of scenario. Even when I know that that's not the purpose behind it. So to see that, like physically see that um, in, in a creature like scary as hell form, even Simon said that those things are scary was pretty, It was pretty amazing. It was pretty eye-opening. It it felt like, yeah, I have been that. I have been there. You know, I'm not there right now, but I could get back there real easy. You know, there's a difference between doing what you love and being quote-unquote in the zone and and just flowing and loving it, whether that's whatever, working out, music, um, writing, art, whatever it might be, and being just obsessed to the point where nothing in life, nothing else in life matters. I mean, for me, it hasn't always been music. It's been sports at one point, different sports, you know, at one point, uh, yeah. Ironman at one point, like it just, but I guess it took me 40 years to really understand that, you know, I could enjoy all of those things. And that is a, a part of me. They're all a part of, of me to this point. And there might be something else you know, later. And that's okay too. You know, you see these, I'm so sick of all these, these memes and stuff that are online on social media about, about if you have a day job, you know, you're never going to get rich working, you know, making someone else rich and, and all this stuff. Like, I'm sick of that crap. Not everybody is born to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody is born to be the best pianist on the planet. Not everybody is or wants to be, there are a lot of people who have wonderful lives, who live, uh, who have day, day jobs and are thankful as hell to have them. I, for one, am one. Uh, so those, those kinds of things drive me nuts and it's, cause oh, I'm saying that because it's okay to not be 1000% dedicated to one thing, right? It's okay to see life for the, the... plethora of colors that it, and it's just wonderful to see them put that into a visual. And then to, to turn, to allow 22 to become one because she technically was alive, uh-huh. right? Cause she couldn't, she couldn't become one if she never had her spark in the first place. Cause you can't get lost in your spark. Uh, but since she found her spark, she was able and it was alive. She was able to, to go there, but her, it turned bad cause her spark was hating herself or thinking that she wasn't enough. And so it was, or it like kind of flipped on her. So it was brilliant for that to happen and for her to just be this like really strong, powerful, you know, lost soul was really cool. And it was heartwarming and just fantastic. And then, and then at the end, them giving them, giving Joe another chance, it was just great. There's no reason like, you know, normally we sit here and we say there needs to be a cost to everything, you know, or it's like some things there in films, there need, not everything, but some things there needs to be a cost but here I really like that they did that I really like that they gave him another chance and I like I I, I think my favorite part about this whole movie though other than the music and maybe four other parts that I've already said is Terry well first off giving all of the Jerry's and Terry those accents like (laughs) having them be Aussies is just fantastic like I it would have been not half as good if it would have been just, you know, a normal American voice, you know, the yeah. accent, it's just freaking awesome. And then, and then <laughs> when they're presenting Terry with a, or yeah, Terry with the, the, the this trophy, <laughs> the trophy, present you with this trophy that you've uh, you requested. <laughs> uh, and, and then at the end when they, when he says, well, what about Terry? Oh, we took care of Terry. And Oh, look over there. <laughs> just like that, just that little adjustment. Oh, we took care of him. Uh, just um, so cool, so amazing. Um, they allow Terry to be what he is, which yeah. is a stickler to the rules, no. and they solve that problem very easily. But they sh- they give that to us, and so th- allowing him to go back was just brilliant and wonderful and heartwarming. It doesn't matter, you know, if he calls Lisa. It doesn't matter if he stays, continues to play with Dorothea Williams. You know, none of that really matters, and so we don't get any of those answers. But those questions are raised. Yeah. Twenty-two says, "Why don't you call Lisa?" Oh, it's not the right time in my life. You have to die twice. <laughs> <laughs> I caught that the third time I watched it. <laughs> that's just a great, that's oh. a great little moment right there. Oh, it's not not the best time in my life for a relationship. You have to die twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, any of you out there, call Lisa. Yeah, just all these little bitty things are just so wonderful, and they—I don't know if you noticed—a um, lot of the tie-ins to some of the other films, but especially in the hall of of everything or wherever it is where she goes, they go to try to find their spark. Um, there's a lot of references to other films. The uh, the ship is in there from Wally. Uh, the, there's a balloon in there from up, uh, the, the Zeppelin kind of thing is in there. Um, there's a door from, uh, monsters Inc in there. They're all like these little hidden things. You got to pause it a lot. Like there's, cause like, I was these little looking moments, like, and I couldn't, yeah.
1: I'm. I, I definitely didn't pause, but even just, I think I picked out maybe one thing, and it's not even a hundred percent,
0: you know, sure thing. Oh, okay. Like, I think- look again. There's one. There's one moment where you can see the 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 giant ship from outer space from Wally is like way in the distance, <sighs> That's so in good. the back, like in the air. It's like like whatever. Anyway, so they do these little these little things, but there's also these really hidden things. There's one moment that really was intriguing to me, and I don't really fully know the reason. Or the, the significance of it, other than to kind of, I don't know if it ties into another Pixar mo- film, or I think it might. Or if it's just to kind of scare adults who might get it, uh, where Terry says, says we've lost a soul, we lost a soul. And Jerry uh, says, that hasn't happened in centuries. Jesus? Well, if it hasn't happened in centuries, then a lot of souls have escaped, which is creepy it's very creepy to me if a lot of souls have escaped, right? Cause where are those souls on earth somewhere oh. wreaking havoc or scaring the crap out of people? <laughs> I think that might be some kind of a reference to either like a monster's Inc. reference where, you know, like going from one dimension to another or something through a doorway. There's a lot of doorways happening here. Right. But also like, I don't know. I, I feel I I feel like a lot of references to Monsters Inc. Here. Also, the powering of so the the children get their power through finding their spark. Well, their spark is everything that they can experience on Earth. So Earth is basically powering the children, right, in order to get them to Earth, right? And and then all these doorways. There's doorways everywhere, man. There's doorways in the in the um, from Earth to the before life and the, after, the afterlife, they open doorways to show them, to show him the afterlife. And like, just, they go through doors all the time. Um, and there's door, tons of, they, that's how Monsters, Inc. transfers people and, or the monsters. And, um, but the, that, that one comment of this hasn't, ha- that hasn't happened in centuries also makes me think of like a, almost like a, I, I don't know. There's, there's another, there's another film reference that I haven't been able to put my finger on. Uh, from a Pixar movie that I'm I'm sure I'm going to figure it out after this episode but it's it's something that has I watched it all three times and all three times I'm, I'm sitting there thinking what is that film that they're referencing it's got to tie to something
1: I took it it's as a, a uh, kind of a joke about Jesus like you know Jesus escaped <laughs> I didn't I don't know like that's, that's you could go that, a lot that's of a great
0: that. <laughs> yeah it's, that's great that would be the one reference to god in here because yeah. there is no other reference none, like that's a that's another wonderful thing that they actually got away with doing like not referencing referencing god without um, being offensive at all totally uh it, there was that one when um reference when joe first dies and he's on the conveyor belt and he sees those three characters where she, and that one character says something about i was wrong about the walrus or something oh uh that, the turtle no walrus was it a walrus it was some reference to a walrus like uh he's looking at this white light and she said something like it beats my my thought of a walrus or something like that and that really is the only reference you know that i caught that would be religious in any Mm. way if that is religious i don't even know if it is yeah but i got nothing on that i don't know i don't know the only other like random
1: comment that just cracked me up in this uh, and it's super fast, but uh, it felt like a little bit of a, a jab from the, from Pixar itself, which was whenever we're watching all the the things that she's explored, 22's tried this and she tried that uh, one of them she was painting and she throws her brush down and says, hands are hard. And that's just so funny because hands are very hard to draw. If you've never tried to draw hands, it's, just as hard as trying to draw Texas like the it's you just never get it quite right it's like why do hands look like hands and how do they to the point where I've been practicing like sketching and I cannot draw hands and I thought maybe I'm just particularly bad and so I brought it up to my roommate who's an artist and he's been drawing you know most of his life and he was like oh no no, no. hands are hard all artists think hands are hard Um, to the point where he's actually about to take a workshop just so that he can get better at like drawing hands. <laughs> like, it's, oh, wow. Hands are so hard. And so, whenever she said that, I was like, oh, that's totally the cartoonist making a joke about how freaking ha- hard hands are to, uh, to draw. Um, and that just really tickled me pink.
0: <laughs> made you feel better about yourself. Absolutely.
1: But this was great in another way. It made me feel better about myself just because I've really hit the wall lately, like in this playing in this idea of like, you know, enjoy, you know, the things that you enjoy and don't, don't turn it into your own trap because I'm, I've been trying to write lately and man, it's terrifying. Like I just cannot break my story and it's, it feels a little bit like trying to invent a bicycle while you're writing it. It's just like, I don't, know what i'm doing and it's going to be terrible and everything's going to suck and then to be reminded you know in 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 this movie is like hey it's it's not that critical enjoy what you're doing like take a minute go back into your zone find your zen and just kind of space out and and what is it you you really enjoy about the process Um, and so i'm gonna take a, a note from soul and try to to work on that in my own life nice yeah any final thoughts or comments about Soul?
0: Um, no, not really. Nothing that I haven't said before. Uh, I think this might be one of my favorite Pixar films. I don't know about my absolute favorite, mm. just because it's not as in, as like endearing to me yet in my life. But if you ask me in the next five or 10 years, I might change my mind. I think that there's just, every time I've watched it, and I've watched it three times already, I, I find something else to love about it. The fact that, there's all of these little things it makes me want to keep coming back to it and watch it again and again and again all the characters are super lovable i mean if you ever want any kind of you know tips on writing a story go to the go to this movie this one in particular i mean all pixar films have an incredible storylines incredible circular storylines but this one in particular just has so much depth to it and simplicity at the same time that I don't think that that any other Pixar has Pixar movie has um, to this degree. You'll learn more watching this film twenty times than you will watching twenty other Pixar films once, for sure. To me, to me at least, I just think that that it just encapsulates all that Pixar has been trying to do for the last twenty years into into one film.
1: It's so funny, you know, just to bang on that point is because. It's an arc. We see them do the same idea of we watch a person go from A to B. Um, they're gonna make a shift. It's not gonna be like a world changing shift. It's a simple shift in their perspective, and they do it every single movie, and we love it every single movie. There's never a time when you know we we can kind of see where the character's problem is that we don't enjoy watching him move past that problem and, and resolve that. It's, a, it's the simplest thing in the world. Um, and it, completing that circle and every single time it's satisfying. Big note for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, I will send you a, a link to some of the Easter eggs unless you want to just look for them. No, no, no. Send the link. Yeah. Okay. I just did a, a quick search. Um, even though I saw the, I saw like several of these, in my third viewing but there are some here that are pretty cool that i mean honestly you would not notice i think you know but the, they put in there
1: the only one i think i saw in this mind have just been me you know creating things uh was right before the end of that playroom with all the things um they're outside the box and it looks like andy's playroom it looks like one of the little play bouncy balls kind of off to the yeah, left that's it, one is it
0: okay i got one it is one
1: <laughs> that's the there's only one, one i fo- i found but yeah
0: they was, had the the have the the pizza planet um oh, uh car oh, in there that's good and they have the pixar light the lamp oh. um and a bunch of other like tiny things like 20 22's name there's 22 pixar films i was trying to figure out where 22 yeah. came
1: from so thank you for that
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I I knew that that's one of these, but then there's, there's other things that I did not know that you would never, you would never know, like numbers, hidden places and, and stuff like that. It's just this like really wonderful homage to the other films, which is why maybe in inherently, I feel like it's just so endearing and like a a note. It's like a love letter to, to the Pixar, other Pixar's of old. Like, we love you. Thank you for setting this up to to happen because this wouldn't happen without that yeah that's know? cool at least not to this degree yeah right?
1: but it's acknowledgement like there was a number in there i'm sure it means something it was like p742 or something like that and i was like i don't oh yeah was it like a license plate or something uh, i kind of forget
0: oh uh, i i don't know
1: but I don't know. i'm definitely looking at that and we'll add it to the show notes so that anybody curious can go look up all the references cool nice so what are you going to recommend this week
0: uh, yeah, this week I'm gonna stick with Pixar uh, because why not? We're on that train, and I'm gonna recommend my favorite Pixar film, Wally. I, I got nothing to add to it. Just go watch it if you haven't before. It will blow your mind. And that was, I think, when they when the original Pixar guys sat down, they had three ideas that they sketched out when they they had like coffee or something. They had three ideas. One of them was, I think, Finding Nemo. One of them was Toy Story and the other was WALL-E. And I think WALL-E might have been, I don't know, the second or third film. I can't even remember. But it, to me, it's the most brilliant animated film I've ever seen. Like yeah. I can't, full film, you know, there are yeah. animated shorts that are just, other Pixar animated shorts are also incredible. Yeah, that's uh, true. But this one is definitely my favorite. Nicely done.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna stick on the the cartoon front as well, um, or animation, however you want to put it. And I'm gonna recommend a Netflix movie. It's called A Silent Voice. It's if if you want it to feel deeply about all the things, it's a Japanese film, and it's it's absolutely it'll, you will cry. If you need a good cry, go watch that movie. Um, it's about a bully, and how a bully tries to make amends after realizing that he was a bully.
0: Ooh. It's that's amazing.
1: It's yeah. Yeah. i never would have thought of making and that's a movie on Netflix about that. Yeah. It's on Netflix.
0: Okay. I'm going to go watch that. Oh man. I might watch that tonight.
1: Yeah. I might too. Actually I'm
0: throwing it out there. <laughs> oh, one more thing I wanted to mention. Did you know John Batiste played in this on this? No, he might've been the one playing the piano. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know if he was the one playing the piano. I'm not totally sure. But I know that he played at least on on a couple of parts. They actually quote him in the or they they list him as a musical something or other in the credits that I noticed.
1: So there was a guy that was playing in the subway and I looked it up in the credits to figure out who was singing in the subway. And I think I misread it because it said it was uh, uh, John Ratzenberger or the Cliff Clavin from Cheers. And I was like. There's no No. way that guy singing was freaking Cliff Clavin. So I don't know who that was. It might've been uh, John Batiste, but he was just a beautiful freaking voice. Um, And, you know, I think he was strumming the guitar or something, but nice. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, stay tuned for next week. We are going to be covering a long overdue uh, first time Paul Thomas Anderson has popped up in on the show. And so we're going to be doing Whoa. Magnolia. This is a request from Izzy. Uh, we've had in the hopper for quite a quite a bit. And so finally, happy to get to that. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Go watch it. It's currently streaming on HBO Max. And don't forget, subscribe. Drop us a review. Leave us a note if you want to talk about a film. Next week is a, is a request. So miracles do happen. Uh, and we always just love to, to hear from everybody. We actually had a really great comment from uh nick on youtube and he was like hey guys i really love what y'all are doing he dropped it on memento uh episode and he was like i can hear the passion in your voices when you talk about films and you know i really enjoy it so very cool appreciate you nick thanks mate yeah and so and he was actually from australia so very appropriate
0: um oh, yeah <laughs> i stole that from him yeah right. i like that I, I say that all the time now. yeah, yeah. And if you want to
1: leave a note on uh, this episode, you can drop a comment at thepestlepodcast.com slash
0: soul. Today's quote of the day is from Jean-Michel Basquiat. Art is how we decorate space. Music is how we decorate time. That's just brilliant. Wow. <laughs> so genius. In so many ways, not just in the moment of, you know, the however long the, the musical piece is, but just decades, years that, you know, you think of the eighties, you have a, you have a, a musical sound in your head. You think of the nineties, you have mm. another one, you know, like that's the sixties. You have another one. That's so amazing. Wow. What an amazing quote, man. I don't know where you find all these, but you're very good <laughs> at it.
1: It's yeah. I, that one just popped in my head. It came out of, I've spent a lot of time interviewing artists and one of the guys, uh, that I, that I interviewed, had been in the show if you're not familiar with Basquiat he's one of the most famous contemporary artists uh, that we have he's no longer alive but he was he he came up in the 80s and it's like right next to Andy Warhol when you're talking about famous artists and modern modern eras. and yeah and so this guy this this artist was like yeah I was in a show at the Basquiat and he was he was incredible obviously but he was also uh, just mad like he would do outrageous things and at one point he kind of busted up into a, a restaurant and barged over to Andy Warhol's table Andy Warhol had no idea who this guy was he, he was nobody at the time and Warhol was everything and sits down and he's like yeah we're going to we're going to have a conversation whatever and he was just kind of getting blown off by Warhol as I guess you would expect but just the uh, the guts on Basquiat. He's he's he took a napkin and like drew on it and like threw it to to Warhol and like walked off. And you know Warhol looked at him and was like, "Oh shit, this guy is a freaking genius." <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's such wow. a wow it's apocryphal, but it's so good. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, I wonder what Basquiat." Because that that whole idea of drawing hands are hard. I guess sent me down a spiral.
0: Yeah. So Basquiat. Amazing. Wow. Incredible quote, man. Thank you. (laughs) Gosh. Well, thank you guys so much for, for hanging with us this long. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Simon for his opinion on this. That was dope brother. (laughs) Thank you, my homie. This has been so much fun. I loved this film. I'm really glad you did too. And I hope you at home did as well. And we didn't ruin anything for you because we warned you true this is uh,
1: actually a, a request from shimari on top of it all so
0: yeah oh well a lot of people it, so. good timing good timing because this obviously was supposed to be released in the theaters but then they released it over christmas as like a christmas present um disney plus did as like a christmas present uh disney plus is known for doing that just kind of giving things out you know yeah, they did that with Hamilton too. So anyway. Very cool. Thank you guys so much for, for, for listening. Subscribe, review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, share us with your friends. It all helps and it all matters. Uh, until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.